Welcome to a special episode from the Wyoming Institute for Humanities Research. This is a unique episode in collaboration with the University of Wyoming Press. Our regular think drinks will be back soon. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the conversation. Then hello and welcome everyone to a webinar titled Getting Published. Tips from the Acquisitions Team at the University Press of Colorado and the University of Wyoming Press. Uh, I'm Scott Hinkle. I am the director of the Wyoming Institute for Humanities Research, and I am one of the editorial committee members of the new University of Wyoming Press, which we are so happy is up and launched. Uh, yay! Uh, a quick shout out to the other members of the University of Wyoming Press editorial committee, where Marcel Kornfeld, David Kruger, and Renee Legrade, and a giant thanks uh, to Dean Ivan Gates and the team at the University of Wyoming Libraries who generously support the University of Wyoming Press. Uh, so I will turn it over now to the acquisition staff at the press. Please everyone help me to welcome the acquisition staff at the new University of Wyoming Press. All right, hello everyone. I'm gonna start things off. I am Darren Pratt. I'm the director of University Press of Colorado, which includes the University of Wyoming Press imprint. And uh, I've been with the press for 24 years, 21 um, in my current job. And uh, I'm gonna mention my location because everyone is coming to you from different places today and I'm sure they'll mention where they are as well. I am in our office in Louisville. Um, but I am the only one who comes to this office right now, and it may be that way for the foreseeable future for reasons that you are all too well aware of. Um, I won't repeat the title uh, that Scott already mentioned, but I will uh, dive into telling you a little bit about who we are. So University Press of Colorado is a 501c3 membership organization, and while the, the parent company is University Press of Colorado, we actually manage four imprints, uh, including University Press of Colorado. Um, and Allegra Marchenko, who's going to introduce herself later, is the editor for that imprint. Rachel Leve is the editor for the Utah State University imprint. Nate Bauer, uh, University of Alaska Press. And then University of Wyoming Press is still seeking an editor, and I'll, I'll come back to that point in just a moment. Um, so as a membership organization, we have these, I think it's now 11 institutional members, uh, Adams State, Colorado State, uh, Fort Lewis, Metro State, um, the University of Alaska Fairbanks, University of Colorado, University of Denver, University of Northern Colorado, University of Wyoming, highlighted in gold for all of you, uh, Utah State University and Western Colorado University. And it's worth noting that from the time we were founded in 1965, we've always been uh, a member institution. So we've always had a mix of Colorado schools that supported the University Press of Colorado. It's a relatively new thing in our 50 plus year history to have out of state members. And the first was Utah State University in 2012 um, and Wyoming joined in 2019. And then Alaska just joined this year, um, a mere few months ago. Um, but we've always been this sort of consortial arrangement. So welcome to the fold. Um, so as uh, Scott already noted, um, what we've been working on since the University of Wyoming joined the membership in 2019 is building a University of Wyoming Press imprint for all of you. And what you're seeing on the screen is uh, a relatively new, uh, attractive uh, graphic representation of a lot of hard work that's been going on for the past couple of years. Uh, I have been having conversations with, and, and not just me, other people on staff, although I, I did a lot of the early uh, uh, reconnaissance, but I've been having conversations with faculty, with the people on the Wyoming ed editorial committee um, that Scott mentioned, um, with, with Dean Gates, 
and trying to sort out what uh, what you all wanted to do. And we've we've sorted that out. And actually, if you go to our website um, at uh, <laughs> I love the metal lark too, Sue. Um, if you go to our website www.upcolorado.com, you will see at the top level navigation a link that says our imprints. And if you click on that, all four imprints are listed. And if you then additionally click on the Wyoming imprint, there's the whole description of what this new press editor for the imprint is going to be acquiring. Um, I will also show you, we have a, a this, we have a, um, a horizontal version of this logo too, where the text is off to the right side of the bird and the, the state in which it sits. We also have this version, which is going to be used as the, the sort of colophon on the spine of the books. Um, which I think is also really nifty. Um, it doesn't have the state in it, but it has you know the word, which is good, I guess. Um, so one of the things that's really uh, great news for us and for the imprint is that in October, the NEH announced its recipients of their SHARP awards, the Sustain in the Humanities through the American Rescue Plan uh, grants. And we were one of the recipients. We got a $56,000 grant uh, that would support a position for a portion of a year. So the whole program, the whole grant program is for a year, allowing for some time for us to recruit and hire an acquisitions editor for this imprint. And then the money will cover the rest of that year during which they're, they're working for us. So this is really exciting news. Um, we have the grant in hand. We will be announcing the, the new position soon. We're just still sorting out some final, final details about that, but we're very close. So stay tuned for that. But it's very exciting to be at this point, like Scott said earlier, before we got started. And I am now going to pass the torch to Nate Bauer of the University of Alaska Press. Thanks, Darren. Uh, thanks to everybody else for being here. Um, I, my name is Nate Bauer. Um, I am, as Darren mentioned, uh, the acquiring editor for University of Alaska Press Books. Um, I'm coming to you from Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, this is not a live shot, but about 12 hours ago, the skies did look an awful lot like this. We've had really active auroras this week. So um, it's a good time of year to be in Fairbanks. Um, in Fairbanks, um, uh, we acknowledge the Alaska Native Nations upon whose traditional lands our communities reside. We, uh, our, our city is located on the traditional lands of the Dana people of the Lower Tanana River. Um, we cherish the land on which we live and depend, and we honor and respect the people who came before us and who are still here. Um, I uh, am, am here to, my function, I think, is to be a bit of a hype man for um, prospective uh, authors. Um, I, I think I can confidently say that everybody um, watching this or in attendance, um, I think I'm confident that everybody has uh, at least one book in them, perhaps for some of you many more. Uh, I think for many of the books that we publish as an imprint and as a scholarly press at large, um, where these books begin is in the form of a dissertation. Um, I, I think it's important to acknowledge and to point out some of the differences between a dissertation um, where a book might begin and, and the final product. Um, so we've outlined some of those for you here. I think that uh, I, my formal education is in English and, and also in rhetoric and composition. So I'm a John Dewey um, devotee and I think about um, academic disciplines, many of them as conversations. I think about metaphor and I think about the metaphor of a conversation. And so I think that um, for, for many academics and for many researchers, uh, I think a book project begins a, in a conversation and, and the dissertation is, a, is an important part of that uh, conversation. And so, um, you know, the, the, the conversation that's represented by the dis dissertation is, is, is not exactly the same as the one, as, as the one that the final book represents. Um, some important differences are that uh, the, the conversation of the dissertation is, um, is, is a smaller group. I think the audience is different. I think that the audience for the dissertation is a, is a committee or a department. Um, I think the objective is different also. Uh, the, the goal of a dissertation is to, is to achieve a, a degree and a credential and not to 
um, publish a book. Uh, so I think it's important to consider that. I think that um, the audience of the dissertation, uh, as I mentioned, is, is more focused on the discipline itself, while a book, I think, expands on that. And uh, so it's important to keep in mind you know, a wider and more expansive audience for a book. Um, and I think that uh, another important difference, another part of that transition from dissertation to book full-length manuscript is, um, is the revision. Uh, and you can, you can move on, Derek. Um, revision is a huge part of publishing. Uh, it's a huge part of the publishing process. Um, again, I think about revision as another stage of this, of this academic conversation. I think that the scholarship itself represented in the dissertation uh, can change a lot. I think it. I think scholarship obviously changes in some cases fairly rapidly, and so acknowledging the the shifts um, within uh, those academic conversations surrounding your research and your work, uh, I think is a, is important to keep an eye on um, how uh, the the trends are changing. Uh, I think length, in addition, you know, a, a dissertation can be either longer or shorter than what a typical book book project looks like, and so um, I think we're just pointing out that. Uh, we, we target books uh, at uh, the 60 to 90,000 word range. Um, again, sometimes that might mean expanding, sometimes that might mean limiting um, compared to your, your uh, dissertation. Um, and then I think also language uh, is an important consideration, obviously, when having a conversation. I think that um, uh, uh, acknowledging, uh, recognizing where, where your work fits within the sort of larger uh, published uh, academic conversation is is important, and I think that that can definitely make a difference when it comes to the language and the terminology and the lexicon used in your work. Um, we can move on, Darren. Um, there are uh, obviously um, thousands, uh, many thousands of people who have and, and teams who have engaged in the uh, transitioning from a dissertation to a published book, and um, as a result. Um, there are models and templates uh, and there's important research and important writing on this very topic. And so um, again, uh, moving back to sort of encouraging people here uh, to, to think about and to, and to move from that, from the dissertation to the book, um, there's just a lot of resources I think that are, that are incredibly useful and incredibly helpful. Um, and some of them are listed here. Uh, it seems like thankfully there are uh, kind of new either additions or new versions of these resources that appear um, every few years, as you can tell from the from the books listed here. And so I, I just, um, we're, we're here as resources for anybody in the audience who um, who wants to think about uh, a dissertation to book process and um, and also these resources here, the, the published books um, can, can help out a great deal. Um, so, so thanks for your time and, and I will um, pass it along to my colleague Allegra. Hello everyone, my name is Allegra Marchenko and I'm the Acquisitions Editor for the University Press of Colorado Imprint. I'm coming to you from Ithaca, New York today where I live and work on the traditional homelands of the Gayakono or the Cayuga Nation. And so now that you have a basic idea of how to revise your dissertation or you have a book in hand, I'll be talking a bit about which press you might want to submit to. And there are a lot of things to consider, but two of the big ones are subject fit and size. So for subject fit, um, presses are extremely disciplinary, and this is for good reason. We put our resources into specific fields to make sure we are doing a good job finding audiences and getting your book out into the hands it needs to reach. So submitting to a press that doesn't publish in your area will not make you stand out in a good way. Most likely, you'll just get a rejection that says something like, this isn't a good fit for our list, which really means the press doesn't quite have the resources to give your book the best chance out in the world. So in finding a press that does publish what you're trying to publish in, um, I have three recommendations. One is look at your bookshelves. Look at the books that have been published recently in your field, the ones you admire. Find those little logos on the spine, like we saw Wyoming's pretty one, uh, or look at the copyright page to figure out what presses are publishing recently in, in your field and are publishing books that would be somewhat similar to yours. That's a great place to start. 
You should also attend your conferences. If a press publishes in your field, they'll likely be at that conference in the exhibit hall. And you can use this opportunity to sit down with an editor and talk about your book, um, either to essentially pitch it or also to get a bit of feedback on its development. And I'll say that even if you've already published with the press, it's nice to say hello to your editor at the conferences. Um, we always like to meet people in person and chat. And finally, you should talk to your colleagues who have been through this process before. Find out who they published with and find out what their experiences were. Consider not just does the book, does the press take your book, but also does it seem like the type of place that will serve you and your academic career? So sort of on this theme, the next thing to consider is size. Big presses, for instance, come with a lot more prestige. If you're about to go up for tenure or you're looking for a new job and you want a top shelf publication, it could benefit you to go for a big press. These big presses tend to be a little bit slower and to have longer pipelines, which means they're, they're you know, accepting books for years out and can be a little less flexible if something happens and you need to move your book around in the pipeline, whether it's to get a closer publication date or you need page proof sooner for your tenure committee or something like that. Versus smaller mid-sized presses can be a lot more responsive to timeliness needs and can have a bit more flexibility in working with you to have to, to work with your institution for, for whatever reason you might have. And smaller presses can also be more involved in author expectations, talking you through the process and operating not just as a traffic guide who's moving your book through a long pipeline, but someone who's really involved in mentoring you as an academic and in putting the best book out into the world. And I've included on this slide um, a link to the Association of University Press's membership list, which is a good starting point for just seeing what's out there. But again, you should think about fit and think about what you need your press to do for you. Next slide, please. So once you've chosen a few presses, um, you'll likely go out to them with a proposal. And the number one thing I can recommend is to check each individual press's guidelines and follow them very closely. Things will likely differ slightly from press to press, but a standard book proposal usually includes a clear and concise description of your book and its notable features, a table of contents, including a brief description for each chapter, an estimated word count, estimated number of illustrations, tables, appendices, etc., a realistic analysis of the expected audience, competing books, and a brief explanation of the uniqueness of your book, a realistic date when the manuscript will be completed, a CV, and a sample chapter. And you, how these are put together, how these are sent to a press can vary. So whether it's you're emailing a general email or you're finding the specific editor you think will be a fit in emailing them, or whether you're like us and the press has a submission portal to go through. If you have questions about how to do things, it's a good idea to get in touch via the general email um, so that you are more likely to get things right the first time. And this is another area where you should ask around, ask your colleagues for their proposals so you can see what they did and ask them to review yours as well, just to make sure you're presenting your book in the best possible light. Um, this doesn't have to be a solitary endeavor and editors aren't going to be stuck to hard and fast rules. We see a lot of variations in how things are submitted, but it's good to, as best you can, give whatever the press is asking for. Next slide. I think it's back one. So when to send this proposal? Not too early, because what if a publisher says yes and you're still too far out? You should be able to send your full manuscript within a year and preferably sooner. And this is because the closer you are to having that full manuscript, the closer you are to knowing your real argument post-revision. We all know that when we're writing something, um, new scholarship comes out that changes the way we're framing the book, or we new ideas occur to us along the way. And whatever book you've pitched to your publisher with a proposal, 
um, you don't eventually want to be submitting a book that's entirely different. You would essentially be starting over with your editor who agreed to one thing and got another. And you don't want to essentially have gotten a yes on a proposal and submit something so different that the, pre the press itself doesn't really publish it. Also, if you wait a few years in between, your editor might have moved presses, et cetera. So you want to be able to um, send your full manuscript sooner rather than later so that you can, that the conversation you had with your publisher is still fresh in their mind. And you also don't want to send it too late because if a publisher says no, you will need to go to different presses. Um, you should have a sense of possible publishers before you're ready to send so that you can keep it moving quickly. If you're on some sort of tenure clock or you're on, under some other sort of deadline, you don't want to wait until the last moment and then be desperate to publish your book within a year. Realistically, from the time that you're sending in a full manuscript, it's usually at minimum 18 months before you might possibly see it within covers. So it's a good idea to understand the long time span of publishing and submit your proposal and get started on this process when you know that you know what you need from the process, from your editor and from your book. Sending the full manuscript is just the first of many steps. Peer review can take months. Your book will have to be, it will, your book will likely go through revisions based on peer review, et cetera. So you wanna be in a good place to be able to send your book in. And if you get a rejection to keep moving along to the next publisher. And that's it for me. So I'll turn it over to Rachel. Hi, my name is Rachel LeVay, and I'm the acquisitions editor for the Utah State University Press. Um, my pronouns are she and her, and I'm talking to you all today from Pocatello, Idaho, which is on the traditional homelands of the Shoshone-Bannock people. Um, I've been with USUP for about four years, and my primary list areas include writing studies, folklore, and natural history. And I'm going to talk a bit with you all today about the peer review processes and what to expect before, during, and after. Uh, submitting for peer review can be really stressful, and we all know that whether it's for a journal article or a monograph, it's going to be um, a bit of a process to navigate. And all of us as editors have seen authors who've both hurried into that process and authors who've also procrastinated as long as possible in making the decision to go ahead and submit. So both can, approaches can be problematic, and we encourage authors to really take the time to ensure that you're submitting your best work for peer review. So to start out, I'm going to talk a bit about the nuts and bolts. Um, as you move into the peer review process, make sure that you followed the guidelines for the press. Um, do you need, are, are there extra places where you need to give the manuscript attention that's particular to the press you're submitting to? Here at USUP, we use the Chicago Manual of Style, but I am always clear with authors that I don't want authors or editors to undertake style uh, guideline work along those lines pre-acceptance and that we're happy to review the work in whatever style it's in, but that's not true at every press. So some presses might want you to have a specific style in mind. Um, there are also some common mistakes that are worth checking for when you reach this stage, like accept all of your changes and turn off track changes because that can be a really persistent issue with a manuscript as it moves forward. Are there bracketed places where you've written yourself notes? I always say like bracket more here and that doesn't help anyone who's reading my work. So you can go ahead and search through and make sure that any of those have been cleaned up. Are your notes and bibliography complete? Have you included all of the pieces, including your introduction, all of your chapters, your table of contents and your references? And sometimes we recommend uh, just going ahead and printing it out and going through it with a pen in hand to make sure that you have all of those pieces. So next slide. Thanks, Darren. Um, so I, th I think actually there might be one slide prior. Is there one? Nope, maybe not. Okay. So your press might ask if you'd like to suggest some possible peer reviewers too, or even more importantly, scholars who should not be asked to read the manuscript. And so for reviewers you suggest, they should be well positioned to read your work, but they shouldn't be mentors, either someone from grad school or the profession who knows your work super closely. They shouldn't be colleagues, co-authors, or your best friend. Uh, but in most disciplines, everybody knows everyone at least a little. So uh, we also understand that your suggestions shouldn't be from complete strangers necessarily, because 
it should just be someone who can be objective about your work. And for scholars who you don't want to read your work, um, you don't need to tell us why. We all know that there can be bad actors in every discipline and that information isn't always clear to us as editors. So while we may or may not query the names that you suggest, we can ensure that we won't query those you ask us not to. Um, finally, presses handle peer review differently in terms of anonymizing. At UPC, we use a single anonymous process, meaning the reviewers know the author's identity, but the author doesn't know the reviewer's identity. Uh, and you should feel free to ask your editor in advance what the process is for anonymity, if you'd like to know. And it's also fairly common for peer reviewers to provide blurbs for work in marketing copy. So down the road, it may be clear to you who your reviewers were, but not in every case. So waiting for your peer review can be really difficult. And honestly, it's best survived by just putting it out of mind as much as possible. Um, timelines are also a challenge during peer review. Uh, many of us joke that editors could likely work half time if peer reviewers always met their deadlines. And we used to say that before COVID and it's even truer now than it was before. Uh, so, but we know that it's challenging to wait for those reviews. So here are a few things to just keep in mind. First, feel free to keep in touch with your editor. If you're attending a conference, when that's a thing we all do again someday, um, as Allegra mentioned, do stop by and say hi to your editor um, and feel free to check in and chat about where things are at. Um, and also remember that you're working with a team. Um, I have definitely worked with authors here and there who can struggle with that idea and have potentially been a little bit curt or rough with uh, assistant editors in particular when things are running long, but please do remember that we're all working together on these projects and that there is a collaborative nature to it. Um, and oftentimes an assistant editor is the one who's doing a lot of the work on the manuscript, so you want to be extra kind and thoughtful with them. And be patient as much as possible. Uh, we don't always have a lot of control over what happens when, and sometimes peer reviewers can ghost us, uh, in which case we have to start over. And so if deadlines can't be met by reviewers, we try to accommodate as much as possible, um, but uh, we're, we're doing our best to move things forward as quickly as possible. So next slide. Thanks. Peer review is the most valuable part of the process. It's what distinguishes scholarly publishing from other kinds of publishing. And the goal of peer review is always to make the project stronger. But part of that is figuring out how to balance the feedback you get with the knowledge that comes from having written your particular book. So you as the author know what is applicable to your book and research. And sometimes reviewers offer feedback that tends to make the project their own rather than working with the original vision of the book. So knowing how to do that takes time. So be sure to read over your reviews multiple times. And I recommend spending days or weeks between readings in many cases to give it meaningful thought. We've also shared uh, our processes on our website, including our reviewer guidelines, but not every press publishes that information. So you're welcome to ask your editor to share those metrics in advance so you can understand how your work is being evaluated. In general, though, most presses ask really specific questions of their reviewers, and it can be helpful for you as an author to know what was asked of them and to use that in your context for your reads. Um, examples of common questions include, is it a valuable contribution to the field? Is it well-written and well-organized? What are the competing titles? What do you see as the market for this book? Does it embrace inclusive principles and practice equitable citation? And is it suitable for the press? One of the most difficult parts of the process is that peer reviewers don't see each other's comments, so they frequently disagree with themselves and also, or disagree with you and with each other. Um, it's very common for us to have reviews in which one reader says, I love X, and the other reviewer says, X has to go. So it's up to you to figure out which is right and how you will keep X, but potentially move it in a more expansive or engaging territory that keeps what one reviewer loves and amplifies it for another. And your editor should help you with this. We read through the peer reviews very closely and look for commonalities, highlight contradictions, and offer advice about what should perhaps be emphasized in the next vision version of the manuscript. And in most cases, peer reviewers have gone through this process before and understand how difficult it is and do try their hardest to be constructive, respectful, and engaged, but they don't always, truthfully. So next slide. 
I brought some of my worst case scenarios. Um, odds are good that you as an author won't see anything like this in your research life, but if you do, just remember that others experience it too. Um, these are from older peer reviews and our practices now would likely include editing out some of these comments. But again, not all presses engage in redacting harmful comments from reviews. So um, if nothing else, hopefully this list of reviews um, shows you that it's it's a really good idea to turn off your track changes because this reviewer was particularly upset about it. So next slide. So now that we've talked a little bit about some worst case outcomes, realistically, you will see a few scenarios come into play. Peer review often asks for complex revisions, major changes, or changes that look minor but require a wholesale rethinking of your argument. So you should be prepared at every step, but especially here, to be challenged with a reconsideration of your book project. But know that those reconsiderations should be generative and looking to improve the scope of the work. And hopefully you'll be grateful you took the time to do it when you're on the other side of it. It's important for authors to remember that peer review isn't a list of things to be checked off, but rather a process to be worked through. And it's also okay to push back against peer review in places. This is a process that should make your work stronger. And frankly, not every peer reviewer offers feedback that functions in that way. So sometimes um, it can be inappropriate, hostile, or en engage in bad behavior. And your editor should redact those harmful comments and work with you to pre present reviews that offer constructive and generative feedback, even if the outcome uh, is a no from your publisher. So if, if, the, if you don't encounter an editor who wants to work with you in those meaningful ways, you might wanna consider other editors or publishers who are positioned to support your work. Uh, my biggest advice about the peer review process is that it's not a stage to be rushed through. Take your time and be sure you're doing the work as best as you can, as thoroughly as you can, and in ways that will strengthen rather than weaken your work. If you hurry through this process, you might end up needing additional rounds of peer review, um, which can take substantially longer than the initial time to review would have taken. So the next slide, please. So the outcomes from peer review, you might be told no, that your book just isn't a good fit for the press. And in this case, you'll want to start over. And as hard as this is, it's crucial not to build, burn bridges with your editor or publisher. You might wanna take your peer reviews to a new press so that the publisher at the other press can see how you've um, engaged with the peer review process and what changes you might've made. And you might also want to come back to a publisher for your next project. Sometimes peer review illuminates that the fit just isn't right, but it might well be for the next book project. You also might be told maybe that the peer review could be inconclusive and the editor might ask for basically a revise and resubmit. And this can be a moment where uh, you might wanna think about if you really wanna undertake the revisions being asked of you and you should be honest with yourself about what you want from the book project. Um, is the fit right? Do you think that the peer reviewers are asking for a different project than what you've written? Um, it's important for authors to remember that you have agency throughout the peer review process. And in a best case scenario, you might also be told, yes, the press might give you a firm commitment via a contract offer or a tentative commitment, like we'd like to see revisions for a second round of peer review, or we'd like to see a second version for internal review. And be realistic about everything at this stage, when you can get a revised manuscript in and what you plan to revise. Um, it's important not to overstate what you might want to revise because uh, the manuscript should pretty closely match uh, what your goals and objectives are coming out of the peer review process. So that's a, a quick look at what to expect from peer review. And I think we're ready for Q&A. Oh, and I've actually um, got a couple of links here, uh, one to our reviewer guidelines and checklist and another to our publication processes, both of which can be found on our website if you'd like more information about these. And I'll just jump in and say that I will send uh, Scott a PDF of the presentation to share with all of you after. So um, you don't necessarily need to jot all this down right this moment, but I'll leave it up for a second um, as we open it up to questions in either the chat or the Q&A.
while I'm waiting for the questions, I think I probably left these links up enough. Um, we also have here, wait, my, oh, there we go. Yeah, the contact info for all of us. Um, we are more than happy to answer any of your questions after the presentation as well. I don't see any questions yet, but I, you know, Rachel, I just wanted to make an observation. Um, now there's a question and I'll get back to it in a second, but you made the point about, um, you know, that, that an author doesn't have to necessarily accept what the peer reviewers say or everything the peer reviewers say. And you mentioned particularly like, um, very, very critical reviews um, or, or bad behavior in the reviews. But I think that that statement applies even if it's a perfectly reasonably written and ethical review. I mean, the reality is that you're the only one who can write your book and you're going to have other faculty who may just see the entire project in a different way. And, you know, presses well, at least our press, I think in general, isn't going to try to force you to do something you don't want to do. Um, and that's part of that process of weighing um, exactly where the peer reviews fit with your objectives. So, Yeah, I, I, I often, when talking with authors at this stage of the process, remind them that Peer review offers a lot of opportunities to engage and re-engage with your own ideas and scholarship, but it, it should strengthen your work, not shift your work to someone else's point of view. And we all read things with our own lens, and it's not uncommon for peer reviewers to read a manuscript and think, wow, I would have done X with this. But if that's if you weren't doing X, it's okay to push back and, and recognize the vision of the manuscripts that you brought to bear in, in the work and continue to center that. All right, so here's a question for the three of you um, from the attendees. This is from Joy. What are the discipline specialties of the University of Wyoming Press? And Scott posted a link, but I thought maybe you just wanna speak to that as well. Um, to everyone who's attending. I, I can jump in with, with one of the disciplines. Maybe we could each take one of the three to talk about. Uh, one, one of the disciplinary areas that we're developing for the Wyoming list is public humanities. And we're still thinking a bit about what that will look like, um, the extent to which we'll be publishing books in public humanities, and also the idea that we might publish on public humanities and kind of create a, a set of maybe short approachable books that would be in, interested in the idea of public humanities and how to present public humanities um, for the general public and for scholarly audiences simultaneously. Um, kind of thinking of, along the lines of the series from West Virginia University Press that's looking at teaching and learning in higher education that's kind of a, a meta approach to it. So um, public humanities and the specific way in which we engage with that is, is still a bit open as we're looking for the editor to fill this position. Yeah, another one will be environmental humanities. And um, as Rachel indicated, there's a lot we're still trying to figure out about how each of these disciplines will take shape. Starting a new list in an area that we don't previously publish in um, comes with a lot of questions and a lot of really great opportunities to think about not just um, environmental humanities itself, for, for instance, but how it intersect with our other list areas, like our environmental justice list or something like that. So that will be another one that we take the first running steps in as we um, find an editor. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take the last formal one, which is um, democracy in the United States. There's obviously been renewed um, interest in democracy um, as a concept across uh, disciplinary fields. 
over the last few years. Um, ties closely to history, but also I think that uh, there's efforts to think about this in exploratory ways. People might be familiar with um, uh, Justice Louis Brandeis and his quote about um, states and um, institutions in the United States being laboratories of democracy. And so thinking about um, this version of, of, of history and political science as um, is very, is very explore, exploratory and experimental. And, um, and I think that uh, it's exciting to have a focus area that's, that's, um, that's, that's provocative in those ways. All right, thank you all. Next question, um, this one from Tiger. In general, do you have advice for a first time book publisher? Any downsides to publishing at one's home institution's press? I would say if your home institution press publishes in your area, there's there's not really a downside. Um, I, I came to UPC from the University of Washington Press and we had um, a really close relationship with our campus institution. And sometimes we would get proposals from people in fields that we just didn't publish in whatsoever, but that there they thought, well, we're all at Washington together, right? So we can we can all be book publishing friends. Uh, but as, as Allegra mentioned, because we didn't publish in their areas, it just wasn't a good fit. And we, we wouldn't have been able to reach their readers and um, that, that can be a frustration for authors. So I think if your institution publishes in your area, yeah, go for that. I, I don't think that there's a real downside there. Um, Nate, Allegra, did you have thoughts on that? Yeah, Rachel, I would echo what you said. I, I, I um, you know, I'm coming to you from University of Alaska Fairbanks, and um, and the University of Alaska Press has has long um, had kind of a regional focus, and I think that there are some other university presses and imprints like that. And so, um, I think it really comes down to, yeah, what the press or what the imprint is focused on, kind of subject matter area wise. Um, I would say that you know, ninety percent of the books that uh, have University of Alaska Press on the spine. Um, have something to do with Alaska or the global north, and uh, and again, there are other there are other presses and prints like that. But but of course, not every not either. There are also, there are also many more presses who are you know focused on list areas and subject matter fields that aren't as regional. And so um, I think it really does matter. I think the biggest question is um, what what's the specialty of the press or the imprint, and um, and I think if that is aligned to um, a researcher or a scholar's uh, specialty, then I think that uh, there's there's not much downside at all. I'll also add, um, in terms of advice, that I think you should look not just for, as I mentioned, what a press is publishing, but what they can offer authors in a more personal sense. So if it's your first time publishing a book, you may very well need a little bit an editor who gets a little bit more involved, who can um, walk you through the peer review process, who's really interested in, in talking about the shapes uh, a book might take, et cetera. Um, and there's no, you know, there's no shame in needing that. And there's no shame in passing on presses that might come with a little bit more quote unquote prestige because you found an editor at a different press that you think that you'll be able to work really well together with and that will set your book up um, for success, whatever success might mean. Um, so don't be afraid to sort of look inward and reflect on what sort of networks you have in your own life. If there are people in your own life who have been through publishing before and can serve as that sort of mentor figure as you go through book publishing, maybe you need a little bit less from your editor themselves and you can look for different types of presses. But if you need a bit more, um, look at not just presses as a whole, but editors specifically and, and what they can give you. That's super good advice. <laughs> so thank you again. I have another question here from Nancy. This one's a little bit longer, so bear with me. Um, thank you for this helpful info. If a book works at an intersection, for example, of rhetoric and national public memory, but set in Wyoming, what's the best way to decide which of your presses or imprints to approach first? And would a highly situated project like this be good to discuss with 
a press rep a little earlier while still in progress. So the press might ask for some specific shaping. So two questions there. Um, I feel like I keep answering first and I don't, I don't need to. So Nate Allegra, if I, I was going to say something cause it mentioned rhetoric, but um, okay, I will do that. Uh, so um, we actually work together pretty closely and collaboratively and um, it's really common for us to get a proposal that might straddle one imprint or another. So in general, I recommend submitting to the list area that most closely fits the audience you expect will read that book. And you can acknowledge that it might also fit in other list areas in your cover letter. And we will have that conversation on our end about where we see it fitting best and which editor might be most well situated to take that work on. Um, I, I know for example, like I've, I've had a number of projects that are rhetoric, but also environment. And Allegra and I have conversations about, this feels more rhetoric to me, do you agree? And sometimes we, we switch projects, you know, this pass something over to the other of us. Um, and I am always happy to field queries before the proposal stage, um, especially in the writing studies area where um, many of the contacts or folks I've worked with as reviewers or as authors for a long time, they oftentimes will get in touch with kind of a pre-proposal check-in of like, hey, here's just a, an idea I'm thinking about. Does this seem like it would be a good fit for you once I get to the proposal stage? Um, and I always welcome that that contact in those early discussions. Um, so I, my sense of the second question is that, yeah, it's, it's always fine to reach out and ask for some thoughts and advice, um, even before a project is, is really ready for the proposal stage. Rachel, we keep letting you go first because you answer so well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what Rachel said, essentially. And I wanna really reiterate the, the second, the second part, which is that you shouldn't be afraid to go up to press reps and ask um, if they might be interested in your project and how it might be shaped. I mean, this is a good thing to do at conferences when you can essentially just pop from booth to booth asking people what they might think. But this is also just a good thing to do generally over email. Um, if there is a general email, you can email and say, I have a book that straddles these two intersections, which editor might be a good fit for it. Um, I've seen lots of those and I've answered lots of those um, just to help out. Like Rachel said, we are a very collaborative press. I've only worked at presses really where if a project didn't fit you, you'd send it on to another editor, it might fit. But if you're worried about that, you can also just ask a general email to, to the general email or to the editor you think might be a good fit and say, I have a project that does this and this. Um, I'd like to talk about it more with you or is there a different editor at the press that might be a better fit for this, et cetera. Um, yeah, and, and and just to yeah, also to emphasize that our our lines of communication, our channels of communication are open. I think especially for um, anybody within you know any of our member institutions, we consider these relationships special ones. And so, if there are questions, you know, follow up questions after the presentation or about specific projects, um, curious about publishing in any of the imprints represented here or other presses elsewhere, I think that um, we're we're eager and enthusiastic about um, pointing people in the right direction. And we are a pretty informal group, like genuinely, you shouldn't worry about emailing us. Like anyone who's in this space, like just reach out at any time um, and we'll be happy to share our thoughts. And if your work isn't isn't a good fit for any of our imprints, um, which is possible because there's, there's tons of publishing areas. Uh, we can also help you think about where it is a good fit for. Um, I think nine out of 10 proposals that I get that end up as rejections, I'm telling them you should be talking to these publishers and sending along a list of other university presses that might be a good fit. So um, it, it, you won't end up with a hostile uh, response, I promise. Um. We have a few more questions here. Uh, 
Another one from Joy. This one's pretty straightforward. Do you publish in any languages other than English? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer. I, I, at the University of Alaska Press, we have a pretty strong history of publishing bilingual texts and um, Alaska native texts. We have an Inupiaq dictionary um, that's um, proven very useful and popular um, here in the, in the state and elsewhere. Um, we, our anthropology books, we, we've got a pretty strong track record of publishing bilingual um, Yupik um, anthropology texts um, and, uh, and, and others too. So it, it's, it's an important part of the mission of the university here and, and of the press to, um, to highlight and, and to emphasize the importance of um, Alaska Native language revitalization. There are other institutions at the University of Alaska that also have that focus, but um, in terms of in terms of publications, um, I think the University of Alaska Press um, it, it, it's definitely been a main part of our, our recent history. University Press of Colorado imprint doesn't really publish, say, full Spanish language books that we are pushing for the Spanish language market. We have done a lot of translations, um, and if authors do find publishers in different places that, that that might take on their book we definitely do our best to help out in that process and give um, any other press whatever they might need all right the next question is from and i hope i'm saying your name right emmeline um so emmeline asks once the book is printed does the press help market and sell the book what counts as a highly successful book project? I'm going to answer first again. Um, before coming over to UBC, I, I worked for 12 years as the marketing and sales director for the University of Washington Press. So I have um, some experience uh, thinking about the marketing and sales end of things. Um, the answer is, yeah, definitely. Um, every university press is marketing and selling their books. And at our press in particular, we, we focus more so on the scholarly end of things. So we're looking at journals for review copies, academic exhibits, um, social media promotions, email lists um, that are promoting the books for text and course use. Um, and we ask all of our authors as they submit final projects for publication to include a marketing questionnaire. And that questionnaire is pretty intensive and asks for a lot of information about your audiences and readers and how best to connect with them. And I think the idea of a highly successful book project, um, that's a, a tricky thing to answer. Uh, there's been a lot of data done across university press publishing about sales by discipline. And the vast majority of disciplines are selling 200 copies of a monograph. Um, and there's definitely outliers that both oversell and then um, also outliers that undersell those numbers. But in general, because we're a nonprofit with a scholarly mission, for us, success is much more about reach and usability and contribution to the discipline. Uh, so we are we tend to be less focused on the number of copies sold than sold than on the impact to the discipline, um, which is like a non-answer. But that I'm still going to say that's my answer. When I, I will just add, I'm not really answering questions, I'm just asking them here, but I will add that, uh, you know, now that open access has become a bit of a thing, that's another metric we're looking to when we're determining, you know, how successful the book is. The problem there is that not all of our books are available open access, but when they are, um, the number of accesses and downloads can be incredibly encouraging for authors who might have only sold 200 copies of a print version, but then they had, you know, 15,000 downloads in a period of six months where there's considerably more interest than you would have guessed from the sales them, themselves. So um, anyhow, moving on to the next question uh, from Joy, and this is a good question, Joy. Does this press, uh, the University of Wyoming press, have a regional focus? I'll try. 
that's a little bit tough. To, I mean, as we've indicated when we talked about the subject areas earlier, earlier, some things we're still figuring out a bit. So we do publish some Western history, and we would be very happy to publish, you know, University of Wyoming faculty or anything about the local Wyoming area. Um, how that develops, what the focuses are, could shift and change a little bit. Um, but we are interested in being connected to a local Wyoming community. I think that's a good answer. <laughs> uh, so Scott asked a question. Um, would you please talk about how a UW faculty author could approach the press and what that process would look like? I mean, I think we've talked about it a little bit, but maybe more just like, um, I mean, he hasn't said this, I'm saying this, but like uh, talking about like the submission page on our website and the submit button and all that good stuff. As well as the early outreach. Nate, you should go first this time. Sure. I, I yeah, I, I mean, I, I engage with authors um, in all kinds of different ways. I mean, obviously, like email and stuff. I mean, it's it's fine if people just want to email. I think any of us, as we've expressed, um, I think formally, uh, there is information in the proposal process that is highly valuable for both the author, for both the proposer, and for the um, prospective um, press publisher. Um, so I encourage people to um, try that as an exercise. You know, the proposal process is important, um, and it's certainly where I think the most effective um, book projects are tend tend to come through, like those steps. But um, but I but I like to tell people that I don't I don't want that to be an obstacle. I, I think that, and, and, and there's certainly a lot of communication that can happen before that proposal ever occurs um, as we've outlined a little bit. And so I'm, I'm happy to communicate with people. And I think we're all happy to communicate with people uh, before, during, and, and, and after those formal processes um, and to, to help things along and to answer questions and to, and to provide any guidance that we have. In a slightly more nuts and bolts way, if you go to upcolorado.com, we have a nice little bar on our menu that says publish with us. And there are a few tabs underneath it, submissions, author materials, and publication process. So if you go to submissions, you will get a bit more information and it will eventually take us to our portal where you'll choose things like the discipline area and you can attach a cover letter or proposal and that will get sent to one of us who will then get in contact with you. Um, and I also wanna highlight our publication processes um, tab, which contains an overview of the timelines uh, for the entire process and the entire process. So you understand what sort of response times we have to proposals, um, the sort of, timelines we're looking at for peer reviews, what comes after peer review, um, so on and so forth. Oh, and our emails are in the about us section if you don't want to look around the PDF. So if you go to about us staff, actually, is that it? About us, contact us. Sorry about that. Um, you can find all of our emails. You know, we should probably merge those two pages somehow. And if you're scared of the submission portal, you can just email it all straight to us. I, I think I, I probably get about, I don't know, more than 50% of my submissions come directly by email rather than through the portal. So it's all fine. It gets there. I think that's the end of the questions. anyone has anything else now's the time to post it then thank you well and thank you for having us yeah you're pros and we're so glad to have you and so thankful for your work and just really great thank you everybody You're welcome. Thank you all. Thank you. And uh, if you do have a manuscript to submit, I'll say in parting, you are in good hands with the people you see on the screen here and who've answered your questions. So 
submit away. Thanks, everybody. I really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us, all of you out there in Zoom land. Oh, soon. yep. Oh, wait, there is one more question. Uh, sorry, let me just answer this real quick. Zach Gree Taylor asked about the Wyoming editor position and how he might find out more about that. Um, you know, we actually have a jobs uh, area on our website and it will appear there soon is the best I can tell you right now. We're waiting for some feedback from NEH uh, who has a horse in the race as the funder. Um, so as soon as we hear from them, it'll probably go live. That will be communicated to, uh, thanks Nate. Uh, Nate just posted the, the jobs page in the chat. Um, once that goes live, that will get communicated to the um, folks on our editorial committee and to Ivan Gates. And I don't know whether there'll be any uh, internal distribution there, but do check back on our website. All right, I think that's it now. <laughs> <laughs> thanks everybody have a great day yep thank you all bye thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed this program and would like to hear more humanities conversations please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use and feel free to visit us on our website www.uwyo.edu slash humanities. All right, thanks. <laughs>